The following Dharma talk was given at Common Ground Meditation Center in Minneapolis, Minnesota. The speaker is Mark Nunberg, guiding teacher at Common Ground. So um, I know a few people went out to use the bathroom. So let me just take a couple minutes and check in about this meditation. This could be a meditation you come back to all through the course, actually. And because we're, we're covering a lot of territory in these eight weeks, some of the guidance you'll be getting is really to help the mind recognize some of these other qualities like faith, like the quality of energy, the quality of mindfulness, concentration, wisdom, these five faculties. But the idea is you know, to ignite them, to sort of... And generally, the way that wholesome qualities of mind are developed, first to recognize that potential in the mind and then to keep that quality in mind. That's how we feed these wholesome qualities. We're mindful of them. And you could just see, like it, this is true for any wholesome quality of mind. Like if you want to be a more generous person in your life, instead of like trying to be a more generous person, notice the naturalness of generosity in your heart. It may be very feeble a lot of the time, right? That's why you want to develop it. But if you just keep noticing it, keep noticing it, keep noticing it, even if it's obscured by a lot of stinginess or a lot of fear that I'm not going to have enough, You're not trying to get rid of that stuff. You're just finding, following the thread of the heart that's willing to give, that's willing to be generous, that's willing to share, that's not feeling stingy. You're keeping it in mind, and you'll see that that quality grows. You know, that there's that famous, uh, I don't know if it's actually from the Native American tradition or not, but I think it's always um, said that it is, about the two wolves, you know, and there's a good one and a bad one. Does anybody know this story? And it's like a, you know, a niece or a granddaughter or grandson is talking to one of their elders about, you know, and the elder is saying, well, you know, um, there are these two ways that things go. One is not good. So, you know, paints a really terrible picture about who or what somebody might become. And then paints a beautiful picture of who or what somebody might become. And the granddaughter or the grandson asks, well, you know, how do I know who I'm going to become or who someone will become? And the, the elder says, well, it depends which one's fed. Which one gets fed? Yeah. So it's like what we pay attention to really matters. And so much of what we're doing, you know, with the study and the small groups and the large group talks and the home practice, the practice here at the center, they're just different skillful ways to help us keep certain qualities of the mind in mind. Keep remembering them. Mindfulness, you know, the root of mindfulness is to remember. We're keeping something in mind. Generally speaking, we're keeping the present moment in mind, instead of being lost in thought. But of course, a lot of what we do with the mindfulness is we keep particular wholesome qualities of mind in mind. 
in order to develop them, to develop a mind that wakes up. And the, this is what the Buddha mapped out. You know, the particular qualities of mind that when strengthened and in balance, see things that the mind isn't seeing and has the mind then has insight, it wakes up. It's no longer being deluded by views, ways of seeing and ways of relating that are arising because the mind doesn't see things as they are. You know, and all of our suffering in our families, in our communities, all the sort of the roots of injustice all come from this, you know, the cumulative effect of minds not seeing things the way they are, not acting, relating based on being in alignment with the way things are. Of course, and then the worst thing is we always think our mind is in alignment with the way things are. So we're arrogantly certain we're already in alignment with the way it is. So the conclusion and the that my mind has drawn and the way then that I relate, the choices I make, we presume are correct. And therefore, your choices are not correct because they're different than mine. And we have war and we have injustice and oppression and domination and, you know, whether it's between a couple or society or whatever it might be, between nations. All of it stems from minds not seeing things the way they are. I mean, this is the Buddha's interpretation of the roots of suffering. And so the resolution of that is to train our minds. And the five faculties is one of the most important um, maps that point to this you know, or that support this waking up. At the end of Bhikkhu Bodhi's article, I think I already sent you the link to that. Uh, It's a short article, just three pages, and he quotes the Buddha at the end of it. Born of humble origins in everyday functions of the mind, through the Dhamma, the five faculties acquire a transcendent destiny, right? It starts like these five faculties, faith, is not that extraordinary. I mean, we have all kinds of faith, you know. <laughs> Maybe you have faith in what Anderson Cooper says, or you know what I mean? It's like, we put our faith all the time. Same with energy. We're able to exert willfulness, volitional, I mean, and mindfulness is just sort of keeping something in mind. We keep all kinds of things in mind. A lot of them we shouldn't be keeping in mind, you know, and samadhi is just that unification of the mind. Again, we have unification of mind, but sometimes that unification is really based on obsessive wanting or hating, you know, that coming together where the whole mind is acting in congruence for one purpose. That doesn't mean it's skillful. And wisdom, well, we don't often have wisdom. So when these, all of these qualities are developed toward the goal of release, the full and unshakable release of the heart, the dropping of the obscurations, the qualities of mind that basically lead or support disconnection, separation, not seeing clearly, right? Then that's a powerful mind. 
that's what Bhikkhu Bodhi, who's a little bit dramatic in his writing, and he's also conservative in the sense of really drawing on this long tradition, which is beautiful, but institutionalized, so not perfect. I mean, it would be nice if we had a fully awake person and they were really culturally fluent so they could kind of meet everybody right where they're at, you know, and no filter through some historic institution, but we don't. (laughs) This is what we got. I mean, whatever this is in places like this, imperfect, which puts a lot of responsibility on ourselves and and on our interactions with our Dharma friends to kind of see what actually, like in the space of our own heart, see what actually, what kind of balance, what kind of coming together of these qualities of mind actually allow our mind to see what it isn't seeing, to kind of go beyond its habits. And that's one of the homework assignments for this week. Um, In some of the articles and in the tradition, it's referred to as this ongoingness of the path, right? Like when we've got the scent of the path, this path of awakening, when the quality, and and they'll come together, you know, for a few seconds, and then we'll be back in our more mundane mind states. Or maybe they'll come together and have some momentum for a while in our mind. And one of the uh, qualities or characteristics of the building of some momentum is this onward movement. Let's see how they say it. I wrote it down so I wouldn't forget. Onward leading right? movement of the mind. Like the, There's a real direct, immediate sense in our heart, in our mind, that we're going into new territory. The mind isn't just spinning in the ways that it's spun before, maybe with slightly different decorations, but basically the same feeling tones and same kind of emotional qualities and same density and feels like me again, you know. That's not what we want from the path. We want to go somewhere else. If you don't need to go anywhere else, you don't need to do this. I mean, you can come and stay because you want to hang out with folks or whatever, but this whole the whole point of Common Ground and the Buddhist teachings and these practices is to develop the mind so it goes somewhere, basically from inner state of oppression to states of the release of that inner oppression, dukkha, right? So the heart doesn't feel burdened or weighed down or restricted in any way, dependent in any way. So that's a telltale sign. Like as you study these five qualities, as they come together in moments, you'll feel that sense of moving into new territory, like the mind is going somewhere. The understanding is on the move. And it seems like the scent is, the flavor is, it's lighter, freer, right? It has the taste of freedom taste of lightness as opposed to move, we're moving in a direction where things feel heavier, or more constricted or more personal. 
that's not, you know, I mean, that may happen. It does happen, clearly. I mean, we're three steps forward, two steps back, 10 steps forward, 100 steps back, 200 steps forward, three steps back. I mean, it's, which leads me to another point about just setting up this work we're going to be doing these 11 weeks. I think this is so important because there's a lot of misunderstanding in the Buddhist tradition about what the Buddha said. Like there's, and th- this sort of aligns with other spiritual traditions, but it's not really, as I understand it, the way it is in terms of my direct experience, nor the way that the Buddha taught. So let me just put it out as a reflection, and maybe even some of you want to respond. It's always a setup when someone asks you a question in this sort of setting. But uh, so, what is the nature of the mind? Is the nature of the mind pure and beautiful? The underlying nature that, so there's a lot of, or is the nature of the mind wild? Meaning, the nature of the mind is just to display or act out whatever ingredients, forces are at play in that moment. A little bit like weather. You know, sometimes the weather is serene, but we wouldn't say the ultimate nature of weather is serenity or calm. Or we wouldn't say it's like terrible storm either. Weather is sort of wild in the sense that sometimes it's stormy, sometimes it's calm, but it's this wild unfolding of innumerable causes and conditions. It's neither good nor bad. So you kind of, this it's not a setup because I'm sure you're getting the flavor of where we're going or what I'm suggesting and I think the Buddha is suggesting that the mind isn't why uh, isn't pure or perfect or and we're just sort of getting back to that perfect balance or that perfect clarity and learning you know to protect ourselves from the devil the bad forces that you know come from somewhere else because the heart the mind is basically good at its core First of all, the the Buddha probably said there's not really a core. I often joke that we should have if we were really together. I mean, Common Ground's a great name in a lot of ways, even in terms of the Buddha's deeper teachings. But it would have been even more provocative to have called it Common Groundlessness. (laughs) The ground of groundlessness or something. But, you know, we never, it wouldn't have. (laughs) There would have been a lot of (laughs) eye-rolling for a long time. (laughs) less or more popular you think more popular (laughs) but but there's some truth to that like that there's not a core there isn't the mind isn't anything except the particular qualities that are moving that have momentum the whatever karma is showing up karma as like things that are in motion that have uh, a way in you know, the, the part of what this moment is is that these qualities can manifest, can express themselves. Just like weather, or just like anything in a natural system. And so that's why it's interesting to say that we're not just learning to rest in the pure and beautiful and naturally free state of the mind. We're really realizing there's a wild thing here and it 
And I know civilization has a bad rap. But the thing is, like, if, if we were trapped with a lot of wild beasts, whether we think of that as ourself or, you know, even externally, you know, you're in a, a cl- enclosed place and there are a lot of wild things going on, you'd want some controlling faculties. You'd want some controlling technologies or controlling powers to civilize, if, you know, for lack of a better word, to kind of create some safety, some stability, so you could get a sense of what this is and see if there's a way to be free, to be released, or you're just doomed, right? To kind of get a sense of the what it is to be a human being. So the path, even though in a sense, in an important sense, there is this insight of emptiness or the insubstantial, impersonal nature of everything, but in particular the mind, doesn't mean that that insight can arise by just relaxing. Relaxation is useful so we can get a sense of how to train the mind. Because training the mind from the place of fear or aversion or greed, the mind just reacts. And a lot, in a way that a lot of animals that you might want to domesticate would react. But if you're persistent and if you're kind and, most importantly, if you're paying attention so you see directly what works and doesn't work in terms of training the donkey or training your cat or training your kid to use the toilet or whatever, you know, training your partner, how not to irritate yourself. The most important thing is to pay attention and see what actually works. Because why commit to training your mind or training your partner or training your cat in a way that doesn't work. That's really a good definition of suffering, right? Trying to make the world the way we want it to be, the way we think will make us happy, without, with a lot of integrity, having some sort of, um, not feedback system, but um, what do you call it when you're you, it kind of uh, an evaluate there's I know there's sort of organizational terms for this but like where you have an ongoing evaluation like am I getting closer you know to where I want to go because otherwise we live in samsara right that where we're really working hard, everyone in samsara, these cycles, these ordinary, chronic cycles of suffering where we're trying to be happy, trying to live in a good way, but we tend to keep repeating patterns that make us tight, make us afraid, make us greedy, needy, heavy. So one of the things we're doing here is sort of getting a sense, like we've got some pointing out instructions from the Buddha 
about what qualities need to be developed until they really have some momentum and then they dominate the mind. And by dominating the mind, they, without aversion, without there being a somebody getting rid of the negative qualities or the unwholesome qualities, these wholesome qualities have been developed, they have momentum, there's just no space for the unwholesome quality, like of doubt, because confidence in what works is really established in the mind. Knowing how to use energy is really established in the mind. Knowing the value of mindful presence is really established in the mind. Knowing that the mind, knowing that quality of stillness, that unity or that unification of mind, a samadhi or concentration, as you see, it's translated as concentration. It's not a great translation. Um, a nice, one of the nice ways to think about uh, samadhi or concentration is in a more ordinary sense, so not like in a deep meditation kind of sense of samadhi, but like in your daily life sense. It means that every part of the mind is working harmoniously to the same end. You don't have different parts of the mind having different objectives. So when the mind is unified, so the different aspects of the mind are all in it for the same thing, like being intimate with the way it is, for example, would be a really good Buddhisty thing for all the qualities of the mind to be unified around. Like, hey, let's work together to be really connecting moment by moment with the way it actually is, instead of through my filters or instead of superficially. Right? So these qualities can be seen, you know, like even when they're feeble and not yet developed, and by learning to pay attention to them and, and paying attention to them with continuity so we actually see what builds the strength of these qualities and what weakens them and how to balance them so that they get really strong, in balance, dominate the mind, so the unwholesome qualities of doubt, of I'll do it later, laziness or whatever you want to call that, or distractedness would be the opposite of mindfulness, superficiality, and maybe you know multitasking would be the opposite of concentration, and thinking you already know would be the opposite of wisdom. Instead of understanding coming from direct, experiencing of the moment, right? So those things just can't operate in the mind because these five faculties are really strongly dominating. You can even use the word controlling the mind because being the dominant force, we're living through them. That's who we are because it's a wild mind. There isn't a mark, an essentially good mark or Charlie or Sally or... Helen or whatever, here. It's who we are is whatever forces, uh, whatever qualities of mind have been watered, like that Native American story that I told you. It's like what beasts or what qualities of mind get watered, then they've got some uh, momentum. And you know they'll come together in some fashion, and then that's who we are moment by moment, the particular qualities that are 
manifesting in the heart and mind in any moment. That's who we are. Sometimes we're a jerk and sometimes we're a sweet individual but deluded. And sometimes the mind is crystal clear and the mind really has some understanding. And we're just, we're not a one person. So this, this is really useful to know because otherwise we won't take responsibility for developing and balancing the wholesome qualities. If we think there's an essentially wise and good me there, then we'll go about our life missing our opportunity. So what we're really doing is realizing that everything's in play. I could be a psychopath, a mass murderer. I could be, you know, um, act out patriarchy with my wife more than I already do. I could sort of act out my racial biases that have been conditioned in me through culture you know I could I could be on a huge power trip because I'm sitting seven and a half inches taller than you are I mean there's any number of patterns that could come together you know and the mind could go down act out some pattern that would cause suffering for myself and maybe others and there are other possibilities too that can express themselves and if we're honest with ourselves and we kind of even now in hindsight, look back on a, our day, our week, the last few months, the last couple decades, we'll see how many, almost infinite number of people we've been, literally, you know, because the particular constellation of mental qualities that are active and dominating the mind in any one moment, sometimes quite a beautiful, wholesome constellation of mental qualities, and sometimes a very unwholesome and sometimes so, a so-so constellation of mental qualities that are, are there. So when we take that frame or borrow the Buddha's point of view, like that's the way it is, then <clears throat> a different kind of uh, responsibility is born in our mind, like, okay, so everything's in play. What kind of mind do I want to water? Do I want to what, do, what kind of minds do I want to starve by not paying attention to them, by not taking them personally, by ignoring them, by paying attention to something else, skillful qualities instead? Because it's interesting, like I see it in myself, you know, and I consider myself a really sincere, long-time practitioner, but I see it in myself, we're all casually... Um, allow the mind to indulge in qualities of mind, habits of mind that I know very clearly are not helpful, that set nothing wholesome, nothing that leads to peace or release. Yet the mind somehow, oh, it's okay, you know, I sat this morning, so, you know, I can be bad or whatever. Saida Utejaniya, this Burmese teacher that I've been able to study with several times in the past. This is a paraphrase, but he said something like, the only thing we can do to uh, accumulate what is good is to practice now, like feeding what's deserving of being fed and not feeding what's not deserving of being fed. And he goes on, everything else is adding to the causes of suffering. 
It's like there's no sort of middle ground. We're either feeding qualities of mind that lead to suffering for ourselves and others, or we're developing the qualities of mind that lead to the mind avoiding, abandoning the causes of suffering. And it would be nice if we could get off the hook, you know, but that's why the Buddha, you know, the, this is not part of history, but part of the legends, the stories that were told after the time of the Buddha. But they're fun, some of these stories, like the Jataka tales, you know, the stories of the Buddha's previous birth. It seems like from the academics, like a lot of this just grew up after the time of the Buddha, these kind of legends and stories. They're kind of sweet and they're, you know, they, they, there's some value as stories, as myth or whatever, but I, I'd be careful about taking things like this literally. But one of the stories that's told is like there are countless Buddhas before this particular historic Buddha. Maybe, maybe not, who knows. But uh, it's a nice story. And according to these stories, Buddha has its their own kind of like superpower, like what particular mental quality sort of put them over the top, like really allowed them to to wake up and to be a good teacher, to articulate what happened to them so that other people, having heard these teachings from this person who woke up and then could articulate what happened, other people can wake up in a very, relatively speaking, easy way, which is why we can't be Buddhas, because it's a technical title for those who woke up without the help of the teachings. They did it on their own. They figured it out on their own. And because we have teachings, we can be fully awake like the Buddha, but we won't be called the Buddha because Buddhas are people who wake up without instruction. Arhats, according in this tradition, you know, you're an arhat, you're a fully awakened being. That's possible. Same degree of freedom as the Buddha, but not a Buddha. So the Buddha's superpower was effort. Right, so this idea of persistence, like other Buddhas might, their superpower might be wisdom or loving kindness, who knows, but this Buddha, our historic Buddha, so, and you know, these stories are born because when you look at the discourses as they're recorded, the Buddha talks about effort a lot, a lot, because we're shaping the mind. We're shaping the mind. We're the first step in terms of like the first insight that a human being gets, whether they're a Buddhist or not, it doesn't matter. Any human being that isn't completely overwhelmed by survival or some kind of oppressive system or ill health or something like that, then basic, just having a little bit of space, one insight that will dawn on a human mind is, you know what, it really matters how I'm acting. It really matters the kind of mind that I'm feeding, that I'm acting, living my life through. I mean, it's just, it's so easy to see. We see it even looking at each other. Like often in the Buddhist teachings, it says, notice that internally, notice that externally. Like we see myself acting in a really stingy way and how tight I get and how unpleasant that is. Oh yeah. You know, and then other moments where I'm in a more feel less less afraid and more generous 
and how wonderful that feels. And then I can notice that externally, you know, people being really stingy and like, oh, they seem very unhappy. And other people who seem just naturally generous, they seem pretty relaxed and happy. So this, this is what we call seeing, understanding karma, that the quality of intention matters in terms of happiness and unhappiness. So let me live according to what I'm beginning to understand. Let me start participating in that world of karma. Let me start shaping my mind and see whether my initial insights really can support me having a life with more space, more freedom, more ease, less oppressive states. And this is where the human being goes from feeling helpless or just being deluded and thinking that some ritual or doing some prayer or you know, bathing in the Ganges or whatever these sort of religious spiritual rituals that have formed, often it was like sacrificing an animal or even in the Bible, you know, what did they, was it Abraham? I forget now who it was who was asked to burn their son or kill their son. You know, it's like these kind of crazy things. Like, and then, and then you'll have some relief. <laughs> I mean, it's like. <laughs> but I mean, it's we're not that different. It's like you know, living in a gated community, and then I'll be happy, or you know, whatever. You know, why is traveling? You know, having a nice vacation. How does that really change things? Or having a delicious meal and overeating one more time doesn't really change anything. Yet it always seems like it's going to work, you know. So with this waking up, this initial waking up, where we start to see, sense, intuit, that it really matters how my mind is relating. And there are other, some ways to relate that I notice seem to directly lead to hell, and other ways of relating that seem to directly lead to release, and I see that in others, and I see to myself. So I'm going to strategically begin to live or act based on what I'm beginning to see and see if things start working better as a human being. And that's really where these, the teachings are just kind of a shortcut because the Buddha distilled that karmic analysis about what's skillful and what's unskillful enhances to us, you know, imperfectly, because it's coming through this 2,500-year-old tradition. But, you know, a lot of us, my, my teachers, my own practice, a lot of us in the room, we've begun to check this out, and we find that it aligns with our own direct experience. So that gives us some confidence that although this, these teachings have gone through all the twists and turns of history, Enough has been kept that seems to actually align with my mind. So I'm going to keep using these maps, adapting, adjusting, so that based on my direct experience, what actually leads to release, what actually causes the mind to get heavy. And so that's what we'll be doing these next 10 weeks after tonight. The first being faith. But I think for the meditation this week, what I recommend is really, and, and also during your daily uh, practice, daily life practice, 
to really get interested in balance. It's like taking a fresh look when your mind is in balance. So balance both in terms of energy, like not too much energy where you'd be restless and a little wiry, but not too little energy where the mind would be kind of depressive or sleepy or dull. So balance in that way. Balance like not too much faith and confidence, but not too much sort of uh, or a sense of uh, um, like nothing matters. Cynical or nihilistic. But don't worry too much about the particular elements of balance right now. Just get a sense like, this mind seems pretty together, pretty clear, a functional mind. This is a mind that, when applied to any problem, a mundane problem like, you know, what's the best way to chop the vegetables, to a more sublime problem like, how is it that human beings cycle into times of being really heavy and dark and other times cycle into spaces where they're really light and free? How does, how does that happen? Right? This is a mind that could learn something. It could, when, uh, when brought, when sort of um, tuning in, keeping in mind a particular problem like causes of suffering, causes of release, the more, most relevant problem in a way, like how this heart gets heavy, how this heart gets free, it's going to learn something precisely because of the balance. And then also get very interested when your mind seems out of balance, not workable, not malleable. That's another term that's used, like not wieldy. It, it doesn't do what it's told to do. It doesn't apply itself to what is at hand, what's showing up in the moment. It's stiff, like stiff butter as opposed to really soft butter that you've left out on a summer day. It's like, you can do anything with that butter. You know, but if you take butter out of the freezer and you want to spread it on your toast, you're going to ruin your toast, right? I mean, how many of us have ruined pieces of toast? Because there wasn't any butter. Usually it's your partner, right? Didn't, <laughs> didn't bring out the butter when they used it up or something like that. You know, and then it's like you can't even cut. And then when you cut it, it's, it takes a while. And it's so nice when it can spread. <laughs> and that's the same thing with the mind. I mean, it's so one of the things some of you know because you've, you've had this momentum, you've had this beautiful balance, and the mind for periods of time has been in that place. And it's just like it is a thing of beauty. In the same way that, you know, some of you, are, are, you know, do stuff with wood and you've got these amazing tools that were really created in just the right way or you're an artist and you have this brush or you you know what I mean there there's some things that just have so much care and intelligence behind them and we really see it as a thing of beauty when you see a craftsperson or an artist um, or a really skilled person some of us did this mindful of race intense because it was all Friday night all day Saturday all day Sunday nine to seven with a wonderful person, Ruth King, who gave a Dharma talk on, on Thursday. And uh, she's just this great trainer. But there are many moments watching Ruth. You know, she, she's an, an elder. She, I think she's 
70 or turning 70 this year. I think she's turning 70 in April. And uh, this is being recorded. I think she told that in public, but she told me anyway. Sorry. (laughs) (laughs) Delete that. (laughs) But anyway, um, somebody who's been around for a long time, teaching, doing what she's been doing. And and just seeing the grace and ease. And this this is sticky work with mostly white people you know, at different stages of sort of unpacking um, what it is, you know, to be a white person around these issues of race. And just, uh, yeah, I don't want to go into the depth of the training, but because the point is, when we see real competence, it's a thing of beauty because the person has some ease. You know, when some of you know Dean McGraw who plays the guitar, he's a on and off community member. You know, somebody's just like, it's like warm butter. They just, the way they handle the instrument, the way they're, there's a certain grace and ease and intelligence that was trained in. Didn't they like, weren't born relaxed and competent with whatever. They made a lot, a lot of mistakes. And they hurt because of the mistakes. There was remorse. And that remorse, knowing that they didn't do it right, you know, it energized the practice. Like, okay, don't do that again because that hurts. Let's be careful, honey. You know? And in that way, same with us. Same with every single mind. Every mind can be trained. The mind may be wild, able to manifest the most horrendous expressions of a human mind, able to manifest the most beautiful it may be wild and unpredictable and just acting out whatever forces are strong in that moment. But it, it, because it, precisely because of that, it has the potential to be trained. You know, it's just a matter of understanding the lawfulness of these different qualities. And the, the, and the great thing is, is we have a point, the pointing out instructions of the Buddha and many other people who have really understood their mind and, you know, this tradition w- that is basically a very useful but imperfect expression of these wisdom streams. It basically we're inheriting the wisdom of the people who practiced before us. And uh, the more you dig into this path, the more gratitude there is. Because these are hard-earned lessons about the mind. These are not easy things learn. They are learned by making a lot of mistakes. And we're, we're not free of the hard part of the work, having these pointing out instructions, because we have to sort of confirm them in our own mind. It's not enough to be handed really good instructions. We have to bring them alive in our own mind. And we have to follow through. Oh yeah, the, the Buddha was right. Stinginess hurts. You know, closing down doesn't work. Not wanting to be here doesn't make the moment better. You know, or uh, not thinking, like uh, not liking that it isn't fair isn't what eliminates injustice. So if we want to transform our wor- world and transform our hearts, 
we really have to develop the qualities that are transforming, that onward leading quality, so that we really get a sense that the mind is leaving behind, uprooting old habits, and moving into new territory. And it can be actually frightening sometimes. The beauty, the balance, the power of the mind when it sort of comes into a new territory. Because one of the telltale flavors of that is, uh, some of you know Scotty who started Dharma Corps. Um, they've been leading that group for a number of years and also Freeman and, and Shelley also now teach that. They, they meet on Wednesday night. Um, it's a group for queer people who identify as queer people, a queer person. And, uh, but, she, uh, but Scotty, they gave me this sticker that says, Meditate and Destroy. It's part of the Against the Stream movement that Noah Levine and others started uh, a while back in California. But they're against the stream centers around the country. And it's part, more generally part of the insight meditation community here in the West. And, uh, and they have sort of, uh, Noah Levine was, had a whole punk background. So they, but that's a good thing because part of that's really true. Meditate and destroy. We're destroying the old habits. Because they're not getting fed. Right? We're creating other qualities that dominate the mind and the qualities that normally would dominate the mind are being starved. I mean, these are kind of provocative terms. You can change them if you'd rather have more gentle terms. That's okay. But one way or an- another, something is being left behind. And there's a real grieving process because who we used to be wasn't really, it wasn't really anybody. They're just coherent patterns. It looked like somebody, like me, but it wasn't really me. It was just repeating patterns. And because I repeated enough and looked enough alike, the mind erroneously thought, that's me. And then it started, you know, getting really identified with that thought that that's me as if there's a permanent me instead of this impermanent me, this changing process me, which could be anything depending on what qualities come together in that moment, in any moment. So that, that's another thing, that's the second part of your homework. So one is to reflect on balance and to reflect on imbalance, just to learn, just in general terms. And the other is to have a sense of that onward leading, like when the mind is going into new territory, sort of different terrain in the mind, different wholesome terrain, wholesome qualities, one of the five faculties, for example. Like, oh, there's a lot of faith energy in the mind right now. Or there's just a lot of wholesome energy, willingness to do in the mind right now. Or a lot of continuity of awareness, mindfulness in the mind. Or a lot of stillness, stability, unification of mind. Or a lot of penetrating wisdom, like not superficial, really seeing more deeply the cause and effect, the conditional nature of everything, whatever the mind looks at. That's wisdom. That's the fifth one. So let me, in the last few moments, just cover some of the nuts and bolts. We'll have lots of time for discussion, both large group and small group, next week. But uh, let me just mention a few of the nuts and bolts 
So for sure, on the second we, uh, every other week, so like next week, wear a name tag. Either you have a permanent one or make a permanent one or use an impermanent one. And feel free to do it all the weeks, wear a name tag, because it's nice. It's part of building community. But always in the small group and gently remind others next week who aren't wearing name tags to get a name tag. People who are new, show them where they are. Make sure we, I will be sending out emails. If you're not getting the email, like I said, sign up. Uh, Gabe Keller Flores, most of you know, uh, is our office manager and one of our Dharma teachers here. And Gabe brought up a box of books donated by Metta Monastery where Ajahn Tanisaro teaches, a wonderful Western Buddhist monk in this tradition. And he's written a book on the five faculties. There won't be books for everyone. Don't be uh, greedy, but don't, like, we want these books to go to people who will use them. So, and if you read it and you don't feel like you're going to use it, then bring it back to the center, give it to someone else. But if you feel like you're going to use it, definitely keep it. Uh, You know, they want people to use, the people who sponsor these books to get printed, they want people to use them. So, and we'll keep having them out until they're all gone. Did you find them? There's just sitting out in the lobby on the, the shelf. Um, there is a criteria for this for people who are new that you've done three mindfulness retreats, including half-day retreats. Uh, if you have questions about that, see me. I'll talk more about the small groups and what they are next week. I'll leave it there. Any Questions or anything I'm forgetting before we end? Steve, you're doing the recording, is that correct? Thank you for doing that. So the talks and guided meditations will be online. People like Kevin and others are our wonderful audio team that makes that happen, and Steve does the on-site work um, to make sure these things get recorded. So if you have trouble tracking that stuff down, you can find the Buddhist Studies website either... um, well, the best way is just go to the website, look under resources, and then there's a link there under resources. And um, Kevin put the five faculties at the top, so you'll see a lot of the, all the recordings from the previous uh, course, which was six years ago, are there. So if you want to dig into those, you can. And there's lots of articles besides the one that I sent out via the email. This talk, like all programs at Common Ground, is offered freely in the spirit of generosity. To learn more about Common Ground and its programs, or if you would like to donate, please visit our website, www.commongroundmeditation.org. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.